Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Sunday, the 20th of December. India recorded over 26,000 fresh coronavirus infections in the last 24 hours, taking its total to over 1 crore 31,000. With 400 fresh fatalities in the last 24 hours, the nationwide death toll remained at the 1,45,000 mark. According to the Health Ministry's data, Kerala and Maharashtra together account for 40% of the total active COVID-19 cases in the country. The CEO of Serum Institute of India, Adar Poonawala, said yesterday that he and other COVID-19 vaccine manufacturers in the country will ask the government to provide them protection against lawsuits. He was referring to lawsuits suing pharma firms for adverse reactions experienced at the time of inoculation. He added that such matters could potentially increase fears about getting vaccinated. The Pune-based Serum Institute of India is engaged in producing doses of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine in India. The institute recently applied for the vaccine's emergency use authorization in the country. Last month, a vaccine trial participant had sued Serum Institute of India after he allegedly experienced serious neurological and psychological symptoms upon receiving the vaccine. Our story of the week this time is the contentious anti-conversion law in Uttar Pradesh. Ever since the ordinance came into effect after receiving consent from Governor Anandi Ben Patel last month, there has been a sudden surge in people getting booked and in many cases even arrested in the state. From the first arrest that was made in Bareilly to the most recent case that came to light from Muradabad, the law is making our worst fears come alive. We shall come back to it later during this episode. The former protests in Delhi against the center's new farm laws entered the 25th day today. The farmer groups held a Shraddhanjali Divas or a day of homage for the farmers who lost their lives during the course of the protests. Prayer meets were also held across the country by farmers to pay their respects. More than 20 people have lost their lives due to the biting cold at the borders of Delhi. The exact death toll, however, is not known yet. The Director General of Police of Haryana on Friday pegged the number of deaths at 25. Medical staff of different hospitals in Punjab have reached the Singhu border today to support the farmers and serve the ill. The protesting farmers today also threatened to block the Ghazipur border between Uttar Pradesh and Delhi. National Democratic Alliance ally and Rashtriya Loktantrik Party chief Hanuman Beniwal announced his resignation from three Lok Sabha committees yesterday in support of the farmers. The MP from Rajasthan's Nagaur said he will march towards Delhi on 26th of December with 2 lakh supporters. Meanwhile, Haryana Chief Minister Manohar Lal Khattar said yesterday that the government is ready for talks with the farmers if they come forward without seeking a yes or no response to their demand. BJP leader from Haryana and former Union Minister Chaudhry Birinder Singh said yesterday that the farmers' protest is now everybody's agitation. He joined a dharna in their support on Friday at Sampla in Haryana. Several rounds of talks between the centre and the farmers have not yielded a conclusive outcome yet. The farmers have maintained that they want the laws to be completely scrapped and recently refused the government's proposal offering concessions. In West Bengal, one of the most prominent faces of the Trinamool Congress and Mamta Banerjee's aide Suvendu Adhikari yesterday joined the BJP. This took place at Union Home Minister Amit Shah's rally in Midnapur, which was part of his two-day pre-poll visit to the state. Along with Adhikari, six MLAs of the TMC and one each from the Communist Party of India Marxist, the Communist Party of India and the Congress also joined the BJP. Two-time TMC MP Sunil Mondal also defected to the BJP. According to a Times of India report, a total of 60 other councillors and Zilla Parishad and Panchayat Samiti members from various parties switched to the Saffron Party. At Shah's rally, Adhikari said that he was joining the BJP to work as an ordinary worker. 
He added, and I quote, The economic condition of West Bengal is in a very bad state. If the state has to be salvaged, its reins need to be handed over to the Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Unquote. Adhikari had resigned from all his positions in the TMC on 17th of December. In an open letter to grassroots workers of the TMC, he had said that West Bengal was standing at a critical juncture ahead of the elections. He said that an extremely deep rot and malaise had set in his former party led by Mamta Banerjee. Talking of Bengal, in May this year, Cyclone Amphan struck the Sundarbans in West Bengal, leading to disastrous consequences. Viet News Laundry started an NL Sena project to understand not just the impact of Cyclone Amphan and Bengal, but to also understand the impact of the floods in Assam. The project is titled Disastrous Consequences and 43 of our readers contributed to make it see the light of day. We release the ground reports in this project as a five-part series by multiple reporters. Let me read you an excerpt from the latest and the fifth report in the series by Shonak Ghosh from West Bengal. Sagarika Maji's life is punctuated by cyclones. It is how she divides her story into different chapters. In 2010, Cyclone Isla devastated her village of Sajjalia, lying in the centre of a ring of islands in West Bengal's Sundarbans. 43-year-old Sagarika lost her farmland and ponds to the cyclone's wrath and, as a result, her income from breeding catfish, parche and tilapia. Sagarika and her husband, Kartik Kumar Maji, left the Sundarbans for Bengaluru, hoping to find work as construction workers. Kartik's parents were put in charge of the pisciculture business, while their son, Sushant, stayed to continue his schooling. In 2019, cyclones Fani and Bulbul swept through the Sundarbans again. Sagarika and Kartik were still in Bengaluru, earning around 15,000 rupees a month between them. Then, early this year, the COVID pandemic hit India. The couple's construction site in Bengaluru closed down, leaving them without any income. No longer able to afford a rent of 3,000 rupees, Sagarika and Kartik, like lakhs of migrant workers across the country, left for home. On 21st of May, Cyclone Amphan struck the Sundarbans. I saw the devastation with my own eyes, she said, describing how the Bidyadhari River, which flows from Nadia district to join the Raimangal River in the Sundarbans, moved with a force that she had never seen before. To know more about the devastation caused by the cyclones and the lives of women in the Sundarbans, go to newslaundry.com and read this report titled, God Played a Cruel Joke, Cyclones Have Taken a Toll on Women in the Sundarbans. And while you're there, I urge you to also read the four other reports in the series under the NL Sena section of our website. The Enforcement Directorate yesterday attached nearly 12 crore rupees worth of assets to National Conference President and former Jammu and Kashmir Chief Minister Farooq Abdullah's properties. This was done in connection with the Jammu and Kashmir Cricket Association or JKCA money laundering case. A statement by the Enforcement Directorate said that it has attached three houses, commercial buildings and lands at four different places in Jammu and Kashmir belonging to Abdullah. The agency claimed that according to its findings, between 2006 and 2012, Abdullah had misused his position to launder JKCA funds. So far, it said that more than 45 crore rupees appear to have been siphoned off, including large cash withdrawals of 25 crore rupees. The ED also said in its statement that the seized properties of Abdullah at prime locations in the valley had been built on state land and by grabbing forest land. Farooq Abdullah's son and former Jammu and Kashmir Chief Minister Omar Abdullah defended his father and called the charges baseless. He tweeted that they would fight this in court. Abdullah and three others were named in a 2018 CBI charge sheet for alleged misappropriation of 43.69 crore rupees between 2002 and 2011. 
the Board of Control for Cricket in India, or BCCI, had granted 112 crore rupees to the state cricket body between 2002 and 2011. The CBI investigation had alleged that 43 crore rupees from this amount was siphoned off by the accused. Coming back to our story of the week. From being a conspiracy theory to an actual law that is dictating the lives of people, the idea of love jihad has found itself perfectly conducive conditions to thrive in our country's current political climate. But before we get into it, let us understand what love jihad really means. According to folks who believe in love jihad, a section of Muslim men specially target non-Muslim women, pretend to fall in love with them and then convert them to Islam. This is supposedly done either by force or trickery solely for the purpose of converting them. To anyone with a sane mind, the Islamophobic and patriarchy-ridden roots of the idea behind this conspiracy theory are clear as day. Let me give you a small example of how this idea has gained so much traction across the country. This is from a report my colleague Ayush Tiwari wrote. In September last year, readers of Dainik Jagran, the most widely read newspaper in the country, woke up to this headline. Having lost one daughter to love jihad, second one now in danger. The story was set in Sangam Vihar, a densely populated low-income neighbourhood in South Delhi. The story revolves around a middle-aged man. He and his wife have three daughters and a son. The younger daughter, 19 years old, and the son, 14 years old, live with their parents. The eldest daughter is married. The one trapped in love jihad is Poonam, 23 years old, who recently graduated from Delhi University. According to the Jagran story, Poonam was lured into converting into Islam this April while she was working at a store in nearby Govindpuri. Poonam fell in love with a colleague's brother named Sabir. After the parents filed a police complaint, both of them recorded their statements and since both were adults, the police took no further action. The Jagran report, however, which sought to tell the story of a Hindu girl brainwashed into marrying a Muslim, was written solely from the point of view of Poonam's father. And very importantly, it skipped important details that made it very clear that the relationship was between two consenting adults. This made it easier for the paper to present the story as that of love jihad. To find out how the newspaper botched up the story, read Ayush's report titled The Bogus Love Jihad of Denik Jagran. You'll find it on our website newslaundry.com. In his conclusion to the report, Ayush aptly points out, one can argue that Dainik Jagran's tale of love jihad in Sangam Vihar is a piece of fiction masquerading as journalism. But even in a work of fiction, the characters, especially the protagonists, tend to have a voice. In Jagran's case, Poonam was the central character who was allegedly subjected to abduction and brainwashing. But she did not get a voice in the daily story. Her father spoke on her behalf. When she did speak, most of the allegations against her husband turned out to be false. Now you see what I meant when I said that the whole idea of love jihad is rooted in Islamophobia and patriarchy. And it's not just that, it is important to factor in how publications with a reach as wide as Denik Jagran have played a role in propagating this theory. Since the anti-conversion law was cleared by Anandi Ben Patel last month, there have been at least 12 arrests made under it. The law called the Uttar Pradesh Prohibition of Unlawful Conversion of Religion Ordinance of 2020 makes religious conversion for marriage, if done through coercion or deceit, a punishable offence. The law specifically targets the so-called perpetrators of love jihad and it comes from the assumption that Hindu women are incapable of taking their own decisions in case of relationships and thus are under the danger of coercive conversion. The most recent case that gained the spotlight was from Muradabad. A Muslim man, Rashid, and his brother were arrested in Muradabad in Uttar Pradesh after he and a Hindu woman tried to get their marriage registered. The arrest was made by the police on the basis of this very law. 
A widely circulated video of the incident on social media showed Bajrangdal activists with saffron scarves tied around their necks questioning the woman in the presence of police personnel. Show us the permission that you have from the district magistrate to convert your religion. One of the men tells the woman. Have you read the new law or not? Another man says, adding, Ye tum jaise logo ke liye banana padta hai. Or, the law has to be made for people like you. After confronting the couple, the Bajrangdal members handed them over to the police. Rashid was sent to jail, and the woman, who prefers to be called Muskan, spent four days in Nari Niketan, which state officials call a shelter home and Muskan describes as a jail. She spent two more days in a Muradabad hospital before returning home to her in-laws on 15th of December. Muskan was three months pregnant when the couple were held, but now she lies in bed wearing a sanitary pad, waiting for whatever is left of her baby to bleed out of her. While Muradabad officials kept denying it, she suffered a miscarriage while she was in the shelter home. Rashid, after spending two weeks in jail along with his brother, was let out by a local court on December 19th after the police could not produce any evidence of forced conversion against him. To know more about what happened to Rashid and Muskan, please do read my colleague Nidhi's ground report from Muradabad. It is titled, Muradabad Love Jihad, What Killed Muskan's Child? You'll find the report on our website, newslaundry.com. And dear listeners, bringing you reports like this requires not just time and hard work, but also resources. We at News Laundry are lucky to have supporters who are kind enough to fund reports like these through the NL Sena project. Under this project, you will be seeing a series of ground reports on Love Jihad. Is it a myth or is it reality? And to help us continue our work, please do consider subscribing to us because as many of you are aware, News Laundry is a 100% ad-free news platform. And that is because we believe that in order to bring you ground realities like this, we cannot depend on advertisers or sponsors who might have vested interests. We solely count on folks like you who understand why it is important to keep news away from the clutches of advertisers. So please support us in our endeavor to bring you free and fair news. Go to our website newslaundry.com and hit that subscribe button on the top right corner. And now for some updates from the world of arts and culture. A Mumbai magistrate court yesterday directed the police to probe a criminal defamation complaint filed by lyricist and poet Javed Akhtar against actor Kangana Ranawat. The complaint was filed in connection with Renaud's alleged defamatory comments about Akhtar in a TV interview in July. The complaint claimed that Renaud unnecessarily dragged Akhtar's name in connection with the Sushant Singh Rajput death case. Akhtar's advocate Niranjan Mundargi said in the hearing that Renaud, during her interview, had said that Akhtar was part of the Bollywood suicide gang who could get away with anything. He added that because of such comments, the lyricist had been getting hate messages and it could cause damage to his reputation. The 8th edition of the Northeast Festival, or NEF, commenced yesterday in Assam's Guwahati. Unlike every year, the festival, featuring various artists and showcasing the culture of the Northeast, will be live-streamed worldwide given the COVID safety protocols. The digital version of the festival will have sessions with various famous personalities of the region, such as singer Zubin Garg and IS officer Armstrong Pame. Pame, popularly known as the Miracle Man in Manipur, has to his credit the construction of a 100-kilometre road in the state without any help from the government. Sessions on rebuilding tourism, which is the primary source of income in the Northeast, will also be held at the festival. The tourism industry in the Northeast was hit badly this year due to the coronavirus pandemic. The festival will also involve a virtual walk through the festival at 4pm today. The fest will feature music and dance performances, a display of cuisines from the Seven Sisters, and crafts and fashion shows. 
The festival organizer Shamkanu Mahanta said that this year the festival hopes to reach a wider global audience, keeping with the goal of educating people about the Northeast and its culture. The Chief Minister of Assam and Tripura also joined the inaugural session of the festival online yesterday. And now for some international updates. In an unprecedented move, the Nepal Parliament or House of Representatives was dissolved today by President Bidya Devi Bhandari on the recommendation of the country's Prime Minister K.P. Sharma Oli. The President's office also announced the holding of countrywide elections between April 30th and May 10th in 2021. This came after a political stalemate over an executive order issued last week. The decision to seek the disbandment of the House of Representatives two years before its normal tenure was taken at an emergency cabinet meeting this morning. The House, comprising of 275 members, was elected in 2017 and the next general election in the country was due in 2022. The sudden move has been described by political experts as unconstitutional as the Constitution of Nepal does not have any provisions for House dissolution. According to a Kathmandu Post report, the Prime Minister was under pressure to withdraw an ordinance related to the Constitutional Council Act. The ordinance, which had received the President's backing, sought to make the presence of the House Speaker and an opposition leader no longer mandatory in key appointment meetings. Today's Cabinet meeting was expected to recommend the replacement of the ordinance, but Prime Minister Oli recommended the dissolution of the House instead. A long-drawn political battle was also on in the country between Prime Minister Oli and former Premier Pushpa Kamal Dahal Prachanda. The governing Nepal Communist Party had been witnessing rift between the two factions of the party, one led by the Prime Minister and another by Prachanda, who is also the executive chair of the party. Punjab National Bank scam accused Nirav Modi's brother Nehal Modi has been charged with a fraud worth over $2.6 million in the United States. Nehal is charged with defrauding a diamond company called LLD Diamonds in Manhattan. He allegedly made false representations to obtain more than $2.6 million worth of gems from LLD Diamonds on credit terms and then liquidated them for his own use. The Manhattan district attorney said that Nehal conned the diamond company into giving him millions of worth of diamonds, citing a purported deal with Costco Wholesale Corporation, but such a deal never existed in reality. He added that Nehal Modi will face the clarity of a New York Supreme Court indictment. To cover his fraud, Modi falsely claimed that he was facing payment issues owing to a Costco fulfillment error and made repeated promises to satisfy the balance to the LLD diamonds. When LLD finally uncovered the fraud, it asked Modi to immediately pay his outstanding balance or return the diamonds. Modi had already pawned off a large portion of the diamonds for his own expenses and the company reported the fraud to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. The New York Supreme Court has indicted him with charges of grand larceny in the first degree. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.